the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you probably know by now, unless this is your first time, this is a program dedicated to answering your Bible questions, uh, life questions, pretty much whatever's going on in your life and in your heart. We'll do the very best that we can to help you through those issues. Here's how you can call and ask your question, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, uh, costs you nothing, and it's a very effective way to get the questions to us. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just push the Call Now button, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, this is like the perfect weather for me, so I'm feeling really good today, and uh, it's just been a great, great day. Hey, by the way, tonight, um, it's our Old Testament Bible study night, and tonight's study is a really, really important one. Um, I wish I could have everybody listen to it. It's, it's, that's how important it is. It's Second Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we've just finished studying uh, over a period of a couple weeks uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. Uh, as chapter 12 opens, a year has passed. And like so many of us, when we've got willful sin in our lives, we think we get away with it. Hey, nothing happened. Nobody found me out. Everything is fine. And then here comes Nathan the prophet. And he is going to let David know that not only was God displeased, but God wasn't fooled at all. And because David didn't repent until after Nathan confronted him. Now, it's good that he repented finally. But the consequences are going to be more than he can possibly bear. I think the value of this story for all of us, and tonight I'm going to do, I think, 13 verses or something like that, but I think the, the value in this story for all of us is that we don't have to be trapped in sin. We don't have to worry about what anybody else might think that our only concern needs to be what God thinks, what God knows. The last verse of chapter 11 in Second Samuel, it says, And the thing that David did displeased God. And whenever you're displeasing to God, when you're doing things that you know you shouldn't do, even though if you think, well, I got away because nobody knows, your pride is going to destroy you because that's what happens to David. We've got to be willing, and I know how hard this is. When we mess up, we've got to be willing to own it. 
David will say, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. If we can understand that, then we're at least taking a step forward in the process of being cleansed from our sin and being right with God. One of the things, and this is especially true for men, 23 years I've been doing this as a pastor. One of the most difficult things for men is to say, I blew it. We're so proud. We'd rather God know every truth about us, and yet as long as we got people fooled, somehow we have the ability to think we're okay. And tonight's study and next Wednesday night's study is going to be uh, a reason why we need to deal with sin and we need to deal with it quickly. So that's tonight. You can watch it at calvarysa.com if you can't be here, but we don't usually have big crowds on Wednesday nights, so you're more than welcome to come. Child care uh, classes for children are available, of course, and um, it's a pretty intense study tonight. The other thing I want to mention, this is a time of year when everything is wrapping up at school. We're finishing our 19th year here of our free Christian Academy. And today was the day where Paula and I and Pastor Will, uh, who is the principal of our school, and his wife, Tash, we get to take our staff, our aides, some of the other volunteers to a staff appreciation lunch. Now, the reason I bring that up is because what it means is that I got to sit in a room and I'm going to use Paula's word with a bunch of heroes men and women who have sacrificed everything for very little and in many 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 cases zero pay at all because they understand they're called by God to do this they're aware that not everybody appreciates what they do not everybody even considers the sacrifice they make, but to them, none of that matters. These are men and women who are absolute faith giants in my book. And I couldn't have been in better company today. It's one of those things, one of the privileges that you're able to enjoy, sort of like my own Hebrews chapter 11 here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have a couple of people, three of them actually, who, and we have so very little turnover at the academy. You know, it's it's a very stable environment for our staff. But we have three people who are leaving because they're moving, and it really really hurts. One of our young aides is moving with her family to Phoenix, um, and two of the others. One is our first grade teacher, or actually our second grade teacher. Uh, and uh, her husband, who uh, drives our bus and coaches um, our softball team, um, really, really involved. Well, they're going to be moving to Anchorage, Alaska. Um, this is the the in-laws of Pastor Samuel that we sent to plant a church in South Anchorage, and they're going up there to help him. So uh, their names are Jim and Roe, and you could pray for them. That would be great. And I always ask you to keep uh, Pastor Samuel and Megan uh, in your prayers as well up there. So lots of stuff going on this week. We've got to tomorrow night our our um, K-8 through awards banquet for the school year. Uh, next Tuesday, we have our high school awards banquet. And then next Thursday is our graduating class of seniors, our commencement ceremony here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So it's a busy, busy time, but these are really, really good things. Okay, one more time with the phone number, and I'll get to some questions. 340-9585. Remember, we prefer your live calls. It's a more interesting program. Here's our first question from Ken. He says, "Uh, Pastor Ron, what happens the instant a believer dies... And is soul sleep a biblical doctrine? Uh, Ken, the first thing that happens the instant a believer dies, the very instant the real person leaves this body, 
you know, this body is referred to as a tent, a dwelling place. The real us is the spirit, man or woman, that inhabits this physical body. Now, the older I get, I realize that this body is wasting away, outwardly so. I realize it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, and certainly not the way it once worked. Uh, So when this body gives out, then the real me, the real you, is set free. And we're instantly in the presence of the Lord. I do, as you would imagine, a lot of funerals. And when we do a believer's funeral, I always read the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 10 through about verse 18. And I try to communicate what the person who left this old body is, is experiencing the moment they died. The last gasp on earth is followed by the next glorious breath looking into the face, shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. They're looking into those blazing eyes of, uh, eyes of both holiness and judgment and love. And all of their problems, all of their prayers finally answered. Peter says it's receiving the goal of our salvation. So, Ken, that's what happens the very instant um, we do a lot of hospital ministry, as, as again, as you might imagine. And when people are getting close to the end, I let them know what they're going to experience. I let them know what they're going to see and who they're going to see. And if it's somebody that I know really, really well and we can talk, and I've done this many, many times, I just said, you know, look, I want you to be ready. I don't want you getting to heaven and not knowing what's going on. And Jesus saying, what church did you go to? And then you say, Calvary Chapel. I want you to be ready. And you know what? It's very comforting. At that moment, there's great grace. And then when you're ready to go, can an angel will appear. Now, nobody will see the angel but you. And he'll take the real you out of this old body and transport you in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, to heaven where you'll be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To die is is gain better by far. To live is Christ, to serve him. But dying is the best thing. Why? Because when we die, then we really live. Again, that's why Paul cries out, Death, where is thy sting? Because we don't really die. Now, physically, our bodies give out. That's obvious. But that's when our spirit is set free. And in the process of being taken to heaven, in that instant, we're equipped with a body suited for heaven for eternity. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Nobody wants to die. But we understand as Christians that when we die, then we really live. So, Ken, I hope that answers the question. As to whether or not soul sleep is a biblical doctrine, it is not. It is heresy. Uh, Soul sleep is a doctrine that says that we uh, just go to sleep when we die and wait for a later resurrection. Absolutely not true. According to the word, again, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, and we need to know that. We need to stand, hold firm to that. And don't listen to this whole doctrine of soul sleep. I don't know, Ken, where it actually comes from. I know it's not anything that's new. It's been around from the very beginning of time. But uh, in the time of Jesus, in the time that Paul and others were writing the Bible, um, um, the word sleep was a euphemism for dying. Uh, when a Christian went to, 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 to when a Christian died, it looked they were peaceful because they were going to be with the Lord. It looked like they were asleep. Uh, a good example of this is when uh, Jesus told his disciples that uh, Lazarus uh, is asleep, and they said, "Well, well, Lord, if he's asleep, then he'll get better." And then he, because they misunderstood, he told them plainly, "Lazarus is dead." So that's all it is. It's a euphemism. And uh, the doctrine of soul sleep has been around ever since, uh, sadly. So, Ken, I hope that answers your question and makes sense to you. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Angel wants to know, what does it mean to redeem the time, and how do we do that? Well, Angel, to redeem the time, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, make the most of every opportunity. That's how we redeem the time. It means to live for Christ. It means to live with him rather than living for ourselves. Here's a good example, I think. The, the man or the woman who uh, is saved, uh, Paul's writing to Christians, uh, but who isn't completely committed to Jesus. The man or the woman who's spending his or her time doing worldly things or, 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 or trying to please or appease worldly friends or family members. The man or the woman who refuses to share their faith simply because it makes them uncomfortable. Um, that's somebody who's not, not redeeming the time at all. So what we do is we are active in sharing our faith, as Paul writes in the sixth verse of Philemon, um, making the most of every opportunity is to tell people about our Jesus. But it's not just that. Redeeming the time is to go to work tomorrow and be the best employee you can. It doesn't matter how much you're getting paid or, or, or even if you're getting paid. Again, I know this is redundant, but I sat with a room full of teachers and staff members. Uh, none of them are getting paid their worth. Many of them have worked for years and years and years uh, for no money at all. But they're showing up every day. They're doing their best as unto the Lord. So that's how we do it. We redeem the time by living exclusive of Jesus. We, we understand that every other pursuit, every other thing that we do, has no value if Jesus isn't the, the center of it, if he's not the reason for it. We do it. Now, let me answer Angel an objection that I get all the time. Well, well, that means if we're living for Jesus all the time, we have to do religious stuff and we can't have fun. I promise you, for everybody in this audience, when you are redeeming the time, when you're living for Jesus obediently and passionately, you'll have more fun than you know what to do with. And this isn't at all about religious stuff. It's about being with Jesus where he is, and there's no better place to be. So, Angel, that's what it is, and that's how we do it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Universal City and talk with Nina on line one. Nina, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How are you? Good. I have a question. Um, I work with two other ladies, my boss and then my office manager, and they're not believers, and I am, of course, and they started talking about, amongst themselves, getting psychics to come over and talk about when their kids are going to leave home and... I mean, as a believer, you're just like, oh, no, gosh, no. And I've tried to talk to one of them about the Lord, and she gets very angry, resentful. Um, she's a Catholic, but she's not a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, they were talking about that today, about, you know, oh, I want to get a reading and find out all these things. And I'm just, my eyes got really big, and, and I just be quiet, because the Holy Spirit is telling me just, Stay out of it. And I don't know how to deal with that. I mean, what is your what is your opinion on that? I mean, I know what you think, Pastor, because I listen yeah. to you every day. So. Thank you, Nina. You're, you're a neighbor. You're in Universal City, so you're a neighbor, too, by the yeah. way. So uh, a couple of yeah. things. Um, we have had over the years a lot of people, even some of them who said they were real Christians, say, well, you know, I just like the readings because I want to know the future and I just want to be prepared for things. And and, and what I tell them, and, and now this is to, talking to believers, I just tell them, or people that say they're believers, I just tell them, well, two things, yeah. God hates that. Secondly, he wants you to trust him for the future. That's what walking exactly. by faith is all about. But for unbelievers, now, your personality is different than mine. If the Holy Spirit's telling you to be quiet, just be quiet and pray for them. But what I almost always do in a case like this, Nina, with unbelievers when they're, they're, they're making statements like this, I tell them to go for it. And they'll say, go for it. Well, I thought you would tell me not to go for it. Say, look, if you don't believe in Jesus, you have no hope at all, so you might as well fool around and kid yourself. 
and 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 wow. the shock value and I say it directly but I say it in love and sometimes the shock value yeah. moves them to ask questions well what do you mean ah. I have no hope and uh, you know, uh, especially the, the the woman who's a professing Catholic, I would just tell her, you know, I'm really sorry for you that your faith doesn't have any answers because my faith does. And, and just let them know I'm going to be praying for you. But I tell people to go for it. They got, you know, no hope at all. So they might as well do whatever they're going to do. You know, there's, there's no point in appearing to be spiritual. When we come to church on Friday here at Calvary Chapel, Nina, we're in Acts chapter 17 uh-huh. when Paul is in uh, Athens. Uh, and he goes to the Areopagus and, and he says, I see that you are a superstitious people uh, because of all the idols around. And I use that line in situations like this as well. Wow, you're really superstitious. How's that worked out for you? And they'll say, what do you mean I'm superstitious? Well, you believe in a spirit world, but you don't believe in God, the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in the, 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 the one who died to save your sins. And, you know, if they respond, if there's an opening, then you talk to them and you, and you always continue to pray for them. But one thing I've learned, Nina, is when people stop listening, I stop talking and I go and find somebody who will listen. Uh, and all you can do is pray. Live your life so your light is shining to such a degree that they will see that you have something they're missing. And as you pray for him, God will will let your light shine and your witness sometimes will be used by God to draw them to you over and over and over. I've had people come back to me who were angry with me um, when they got low enough, when they when they could, they could come private and say, you know, things are really falling apart. And, and then you say, well, of course they're falling apart because you're running away from the one who loves you. And uh, just pray. That's all you can do. Well, real quick, Help also, you know, okay. uh, they'll say something like, well, how do they know all this thing? How do they know these things about my life? They know that. They have the answers. And I'm thinking, what is my answer to that when they say that? You're, yeah, your answer is the devil knows everything. He's the greatest student of human that, psychology that's ever yep. been. And so all of the answers, if there's even a grain of truth in it. Now, most psychics and tarot cards and readers and fortune tellers are, are just 100% scams. And they, all they're doing is, is taking money from you. But it's so easy to read people. But if there's anything that's true, even a grain of truth, um, the source is demonic and it's dangerous exactly. and they're, inv- they're opening a door to a spirit world that I promise them they don't want opened. And I don't want any part of that, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I know yeah. that and, and, I'm a believer. I yeah. know that. Yeah. And I know you don't, no. but, but you, you don't have to be afraid of talking to them about it because in the process you're okay. witnessing to Jesus and the power that's in you is greater okay. than the power that's in this world. So you don't have to be afraid of it Amen. at all, Nina. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you, Nina. Appreciate you listening. God yes. bless. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got just three minutes left for this half of the program, but we would love your live calls and questions. Um, let me see if I... Here's a quick one I can do. Jennifer wants to know, why do some pastors teach that the gifts of the Holy Spirit no longer exist? Well, they teach it Jennifer, because they believe it. Um, the reason they believe it um, is mixed. Their, their, their doctrine is inconsistent with what we know is revealed in the New Testament. Um, some of the traditions of the systematic theology that they view the lens of Scripture through uh, is, is um, determining what they believe. In other words, instead of taking the Bible for what it says, uh, they look at the Bible through this lens of of their systematic theology, uh, which is already determined the gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today. Um, but I think personally, and it's just my own opinion, Jennifer, I think personally that most of the people who believe that are overreacting to all of the silliness that goes on in Christian churches that's blamed on the Holy Spirit. 
everybody talking in tongues at the same time, everybody jumping up and down, falling down, making terrible, strange noises, pretending that that there's angel feathers floating around or God's filling people's um, uh, teeth with gold, those kind of things that have been going through the church forever, just the absolute out-of-control lack of order. And I think theirs is a response uh, that says, you know what, none of that can be true, none of that can be from God, so I'm going to disqualify uh, all of it, and I'm going to do that to protect myself from from this, this craziness. And unfortunately, they have a point. It is crazy. Too many of us as believers, Jennifer, uh, we simply don't um, exercise common sense. Um, nowhere does it say that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Um, there will never be another Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit makes his initial entrance into the into the world. That's done. Uh, but the gift of tongues is something that's completely different. Uh, the fact that it is abused by many doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue it. So, Jennifer, they're wrong. They're missing out. So, don't hear them. Don't listen to them. We've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday program. Pastor Ron Arbaugh, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions are toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your questions. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program the word to stand on for life 340-9585 before we get to the next question uh, i heard uh, barry bess who is uh, one of our dear friends um, announcer at at uh, KSLR, there's a lot more than just announced over there. But in fact, if you listen to Barry, he would say that the place couldn't run without him. But uh, Barry, who's a dear friend, said that tonight at six o'clock there's going to be a very special presentation celebrating the 30th anniversary of Maranatha Bible Church. Uh, Pastor Rander Draper. Um, Rander is a casual friend. I wish I knew him better, but uh, we've uh, hung out at some banquets and talked. He's one of the nicest men ever. Uh, Rander he is a listener to the show occasionally and is occasionally called in with, with comments. Uh, if you're listening, Rander, if you're not, maybe somebody from your church. I know we got a lot of people from Maranatha Bible Church. Uh, let me express... Um, our congratulations, uh, our admiration for the work that you're doing there. Um, when I get off of this program, I get right to my car and and uh, we listen to your program going home. Uh, you have been a blessing and 30 years is a huge deal. Thank you for your faithful service. Uh, and in fact, if, if you're listening or if somebody in your church is listening, uh, I would love to extend an invitation for you to come on this program live. Um, and let's talk about your 30 years here, faithful service to the Lord. God bless you, man. It's um, a great, great thing. Congratulations. God is truly faithful. Here is a question from Donald. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, how do we explain why so many of our prayers seem to go unanswered? Well, Donald, there's a lot of reasons that our prayers go unanswered, but let me just give you the kind of overarching reason. It's because our prayers are not in the will of God. You know, I think sometimes we're so focused on us, you know, if uh, if God hears your prayer, we have the confidence that he, he's heard our prayer, and we have what we've asked for him. Um, but but God hears those prayers. Now remember, I don't mean literal hearing. God hears everything. But but He only really hears those prayers that are in His will. I want you to think, Donald, about this. Ephesians two ten says that we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He's already prepared in advance for us to do. So the reason being in His will matters so much is because He has this path sort of set out for us. And he wants us to be right in the middle of his perfect, pleasing, acceptable will. And when we are in the middle of his pleasing, perfect, and acceptable will, 
then we're getting our prayers answered continually. Now here's, I think, what you're driving at, Donald. Oh, somebody's sick and I prayed for them to get well and they didn't. They died. Or I lost my job and I need a new job and I haven't got one. Why hasn't God answered that prayer? Well, you know, the day-to-day trials that we face, Jesus wants us to get to that place where we walk through those trials with him instead of just continually praying that he will help us escape the trial. I always think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had his people turn up seven times hotter than normal. fire was so hot that even the Babylonian soldiers who got close perished in the heat. Well, Nebuchadnezzar looked out over the edge of that fire and he said, how many people did we throw in there? And everybody said, three. And he said, well, then why do I see a fourth? And he is like the Son of God. You see, when the three Hebrew young men were in that fire, they didn't try to escape it. They were content to walk around in that fire with Jesus. In fact, being with Jesus in the fire was better than being on their own outside of the fire. And I think sometimes, Donald, we have to understand that that God uses those times of trials and testing. Paul calls it sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He uses those to help accomplish his will for our lives. I always find it interesting that the very first act of Jesus following the baptism in the Jordan River by John when the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, not a dove, but in the form of a dove, was to be taken out to the wilderness to be tempted. Forty days, no food. Forty days, no water. At the end of the forty days, the devil comes and tempts Jesus. When he's at his lowest point, his weakest point, here comes the enemy. Jesus didn't ask to be removed from that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, at the end of Jesus' life, he said, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, he didn't stop there. He said, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And so Jesus' prayer was answered. It just wasn't answered affirmatively in a way that we would understand Jesus wanted. So a lot of our prayers are answered with the word no. A lot of our prayers, we hear wait. But believe me, every prayer gets answered. It's just not the answer that we're hoping for. And we have to trust in the goodness of God. So, Donald, I hope that answers your question. It's, I think sometimes we get the impression that God owes us the answer we want. Instead, he gives us the answer we need to be in his will. I'll mention one other thing, Donald. Sometimes, many times, our prayers don't get answered because we're in willful rebellion against God. Hope that helps. Let's go to the phones. Talk with Jim from San Antonio Online One. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, I was recently asked this question, and I feel like I should be able to answer it, but I'm not absolutely sure, so I'm going to take a shortcut and ask you. The question <laughs> <Okay>. is, <laughs> what happens to Christians who commit suicide? Thank okay. you, Pastor Ron. I'll come off and listen. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Jim, I know this isn't the case with you. You've called before, so um, um, I I, I don't have this fear in answering the question with you, but I I do want to say this for anybody in the audience. This is a question that I'm always very reluctant to to answer because sometimes um, Christians who are really in a bad place um, will, will, will sort of use this as an escape clause. Well, since I'm going to go to heaven, what's the difference? Uh, A a real Christian who commits suicide uh, is going to go to heaven. All his sins, past, present, future, are covered by the blood of Jesus. And certainly suicide is a horrible, horrible sin. Um, But uh, it it isn't an unforgivable sin. 
Uh, the only unforgivable sin is dying without Jesus Christ. The Gospels call that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, Jim, when I'm counseling somebody, when the question is asked, um, and this is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I hope I can explain adequately. And, and I've had this exact situation happen a dozen times or more over the years. A Christian will come to me and say, well, things are really bad. You know, I think everybody would be better off without me. They've already sort of bought into the devil's lies. So what happens to a Christian or what happens to me if I commit suicide? And I simply tell them a Christian cannot do it. Your body's not your own. You're bought with a price. Think about it this way for a minute, Jim. When somebody's talking about committing suicide, um, they're, they're talking about killing the, the body. I always ask him, so is, what's wrong with the body? Well, nothing. Well, so why kill that? Here's what you need to kill. You need to kill your flesh. A Christian cannot commit suicide, period. Well, what if I do? Well, then I guess we'll find out who you are. Now, I, I'm not trying to be hard or difficult with them, but what I want them to understand is that what we do determines who we are. If I tell somebody that if you're a Christian, you can't cheat on your spouse, and then they cheat on their spouse, I'm going to say, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am, but no. A Christian can't do that. Now, that's in the discussion prior to anything happening. I have done, I think, four funerals over the years for people that I am 100% certain are saved and are now in heaven, and they committed suicide. At the funeral, out of the other side of my mouth, I will say that this is a man or this is a woman who lost, who was overcome by an enemy who wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. This is a person whose faith failed at the most important time. But because they're believers, their sins are covered. That's the biblical position on it, Jim. We know that suicide causes pain. We know that suicide leaves a trail of devastation that is unlike almost anything else that we encounter as pastors. We can be very forceful on the before side, but the balance demands that we're very merciful. Can I say one other thing about this, Jim? When I do a funeral for somebody who's committed suicide, it would be disingenuous not to talk about it. Everybody in that funeral service is wondering if I'm going to say anything about it, if I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. Every single person. So it needs to be addressed. Sometimes the enemy wins, at least in this life. And when he wins, God's heart is broken people that cared about us, the people that we said we love, are deeply, deeply grieved. But it doesn't disqualify them from heaven at all. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the call. 340-9585. Got a note from the studio from Patricia. Uh, I called several weeks ago to ask for a prayer for my daughter, Christina. She was on life support due to a brain injury. She passed away three weeks ago at 33 years old. Now there's a lot of family issues happening between me and her children. I'm asking for prayer for the Lord to work through these issues. Very trying time, very painful. I want to do the Lord's will. Patricia, I'm so sorry. Thank you for letting us know. I asked for the update, and uh, I appreciate when we get it. Uh, I'm so sorry for your pain. I'm sorry for... Uh, the issues uh, that are coming up. Um, if you want to do the Lord's will, then then be a, an emissary of love and of peace. Um, your daughter is their mother. 
Um, so just let him know that you're going to do the best that you can to be there for him. If you're the one making decisions, then make the decisions that are led of the Lord. Make the decisions that are best for the kids. Um, don't apologize when you have to make difficult decisions, but at the same time, be very gracious and understand that even as you lost a daughter, they lost a mother. And everybody grieves in different ways. And this is pain. Don't take it personally. As difficult as it is, don't take it personally. If there's any other way that we can help, we'll be happy to do it. But I think the best thing for you right now is to go to your church. Um, let your body pray for you and let your body um, be a support system for you. Uh, and get pastoral counseling from your pastor. I'm so sorry for your pain. Let's go to Daniel on line one from San Antonio. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, just real quick. Uh, in the Romans uh, 7, do you think, uh, you know, I've heard people say that, um, you know, in Romans 7, that Paul talks about his struggle with sin, and then uh, others I've heard say that that was before Paul had the Spirit of Christ, uh, is what his life was like, you know, in his, uh, you know, natural state. And then my other question is, uh, in in Timothy, it makes a reference to Jambres, I think in Genesis, who uh-huh. withstood Moses, uh, can you make? Can you speak a little bit on that correlation as to why they use that as an example? I know they were magicians, but um, or that you know, fake magicians. Well, that's why they were magicians. Right? But if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I can. Uh, Jewish tradition held that Janes and Jambres were um, the magicians who withstood Moses. Um, when when he went into Pharaoh's court and and duplicated some of the the the, the miracles that um, um, they could uh, by by deceit and trickery, um, they they were impotent when it came to creating life from the dust as Moses was able to do, um, but but. Um, he, he's just using it in context to talk about those who oppose God, and he's uh, letting Timothy know, Timothy, people are going to oppose you, the message is going to be opposed, but you hang tight, God will show off for you. So the Jennies and Jambres um, reference is simply a, an illustration, much like we would do in giving a message or, or when we're talking to somebody. Uh, the Romans 7 passage is um, so clear. You know, I've, I've never, Daniel, uh, understood um, the, the people that say, well, Paul can't be talking about himself or, or this was before he was saved. The context, the Greek grammar, the continuous present tense uh, in, 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 in the, the, the structure of uh, the verses is such that there's no conclusion anyone can come to other than Paul is talking about himself. What I want to do, I can't do it. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Now, all of this is preceded in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, by Paul saying this, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So there's the context of this whole thing. He's talking about the battle he has with his sinful nature. Now, we don't know specifically what those battles were, save one. We know that he had a problem with um, uh, pride, uh, conceit. Uh, That's why the messenger from Satan was able to buffet him with that thorn in the flesh uh, to keep him from being conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations. So Paul struggled with his, his pride. Uh, I think we can infer, Daniel, that he struggled with um, um, being sarcastic. Paul was a brilliant man. A lot of times people that are really smart, they have a really cutting sense of, of, of humor. Uh, they, can, they can cut to the core, uh, Paul says, of the Galatians, the false teachers, the Judaizers. I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. Uh, I think Paul struggled 
with the same kinds of temptations of our flesh that we did. Now, we're not talking about getting drunk or having sex, none of those things. But Paul's struggles were his struggles. And in his sinful nature, continuous present tense, it's not a reference back to the old Paul before uh, when he was Saul of Tarsus. This is his reference. Now, the reason this is so important, Daniel, is because when we struggle with our flesh, we need to understand that, that we've done what everybody who's gone before us and will come after us has to deal with, and that's we struggle with our own flesh. When Paul wanted to get angry, when Daniel wants to get angry, we've got to say no. We've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, as he wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, we've got to... Um, um, say yes to Jesus and say no to our flesh. we got to walk in the Spirit where he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, Paul had that same struggle every single day. And we get so many questions from people on this program about, well, I did this. Is God mad at me? No, he understands this struggle that we have. And we're going to have this struggle with our flesh until we are with Jesus. But all we have to understand is that dying to self gives us the access to power from heaven that enables us as it did with Paul. Now, in this whole process, uh, he gets through after the, what I want to do, I can't do. Uh, I find this lot work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Um, and then he comes to verse 24. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Not a wretched man I was. What a wretched man I am. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? So we go through this struggle, and it sounds so self-defeating. You know, Paul, I'm a wretched man. We, we would say Paul needs to have self-esteem uh, issues, and have to, have to, they need to be, his self-esteem needs to be built up. But no, he, he says in the very next verse, after who will rescue me from this body of death, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the one who has the answer. So all we have to do is, like Paul, understand that there's a war going on in our body. That's what Romans 7 is all about. We're fighting mind, body, soul. We're resisting flesh. And the only way we can resist it is to get to the point where we're honest about it and say, you know, in my flesh is nothing good. Jesus, help. And the rescuer comes and helps us. And then, because of him, we're able then to overcome our flesh. And that's all Romans chapter 7 is. And I think one other thing, Daniel, the reason this is so important and and where it's strategically placed matters so much is because we get to Romans 8. Now, remember, in the original autographs, there was no chapter 7, chapter 8. They didn't. It was just one long uh, document. Um, Paul starts the next chapter by saying, Therefore... There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to to, to write those wonderful promises of God in that chapter about life in the Spirit. And so what he says is, look, I'm a wretch. God rescued me. And not by might nor by power, but by his Spirit, I will walk a rescued life. And that's how we get into the chapter on the Spirit of God. The minute we think we can handle something on our own, we're not walking in the Spirit. And Paul is simply demonstrating that for the man or the woman who says, well, well, then I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, if it's always going to be this way. No, you're just like the Apostle Paul, the greatest advocate of our faith in the history of the world. You're just like him. We can fight the fight. So, Daniel, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Romans chapter 7, guys, is just one of the defining chapters in all of our New Testament, it makes sense. It makes so sense, so much sense if we realize that we can't fight on our own. We have to let him do the fighting for us. Here will be the last question for the program today from Adrian. Uh, how can heaven be a happy place if we know our loved ones are not there? Adrian, on earth, in the old order of things, this is a question that every single Christian has struggled with forever. 
Here's what we have to remember, that heaven is a completely new order of things. There'll be no unpleasant memories. There'll be no darkness. There'll be no temptation. We won't be afraid. We'll be comforted. We'll be in his presence, having received the goal of our salvation. Now, what that has to mean in this new order of things is that we won't have any memory of our loved ones who aren't there. We will be so consumed with and by Jesus, all of our tears wiped away. We'll be so consumed with him that we will no longer look back at the old order of things. You know, Adrian, one of the things I hear a lot when somebody dies, they say, well, you know, they're looking down from heaven and they're taking care of me. They're, they're watching out for me. No, they're not. They're in a completely new order and heaven wouldn't be a happy place, would it, if they had to look out oh, down here at the mess things are in, on earth. They're consumed with Jesus. They're consumed by him. And so too will we be. So heaven will not only be a happy place, it'll be a glorious place. In fact, we don't have words, human words, to describe how glorious things will be. Better than we can ask or imagine. And in his presence, we'll have everything that we need. Thank you, Adrian. I hope that helps. Thanks for tuning in today. One quick reminder, tonight we're going to have um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, David and Nathan. Tomorrow, Apollo will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God willing, I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.